Welcome to the Men's Divorce Podcast, presented by the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell, a partner men can count on. Now, here's your host, managing partner and CEO of Cordell & Cordell, Scott Trout. Well, welcome. I'm Scott Trout. I'm the CEO and managing partner of Cordell and Cordell. And welcome to the Men's Divorce Podcast, our continuing series that we do. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about thinking about divorce for guys that are contemplating it. And so many questions come up in their minds, and they don't know where to turn, what to do. And uh, they always have friends that go through it, and they hear the stories, the bad ones and the good ones. So we thought we'd spend some time today talking a little bit about thinking about divorce. And I'm joined uh, by my guest, uh, Will, who I'll let you introduce yourself and uh, we'll get right at it. Hi, uh, I'm Will Hallis. I am a lead litigator with Cordell and Cordell and uh, been doing exclusively family law for about eight and a half years now um, and look forward to talking on this topic. Great. So, you know, we go around the country and we do these seminars and, and oftentimes we talk about the mistakes guys make and, and we do one that's called divorce school. And I think divorce school probably is the most appropriate place to start because uh, I always relate it to uh, going to the doctor, being diagnosed with some you know terrible medical condition. First thing you want to do, uh, or what I would do, and I think a lot of guys do, is they go Google and they find out what's going on with that condition. Tell me about it. What do I need to know about it? What can I learn from it? How do I treat it? How do I get better? And so I always tell guys in these seminars, that's what we need to do. But Let's start at the beginning. And so, well, you know, in your experience, you know, you've got guys who are contemplating divorce and there's so many questions. I guess the question is, what would you tell someone who hasn't seen a lawyer yet uh, preparing and they're thinking about maybe divorce is in my future uh, or they're ready to file? Um, what do you think guys are, one, asking themselves, what do you hear? You know, they come in and they tell you, hey, I've been thinking about this. And then what would you tell them in terms of preparation uh, before they come to see you? What would they do? What should they bring? Uh, things that you would want to see guys uh, to make that first consultation the most productive. So as far as uh, things that are usually brought up, questions that are usually asked early on in the uh, initial consultation process when they're just thinking about divorce, um, most of the time it's, you know, I'm not really sure if I want to do this, but I want to sort of know what I'm in for. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the three big questions are always property support. And of course the biggest children, right? You know, how is this going to affect my children? So, um, having those questions prepared, you know, knowing what you want to know is the biggest thing because I can drive the initial consultation. I can tell them, you know, here's some information, here's what's going to happen, here's things that we're, you know, we can expect to see, but that doesn't necessarily address the questions that they have unless they're ready with those questions. Mm -hmm. I mean, most of the guys are saying, hey, and the first question is, how much am I going to have to give? Not just in spousal support, child support. Like I had a, a client yesterday. Uh, you're telling me that I'm going to have to give up at least 50% of my property. And those are the questions guys ask, right? Right. They hear they have a friend who, you know, 51% of the country's gone through it. So it's likely you're going to have someone, you know, uh, or someone, you know, has a friend who's gone through it. So you've heard the stories. Um, but they have questions about property. They have questions about their retirement. 
And uh, so what should they do? What, what do you want them to bring to this consult other than the list of questions? Any documents, uh, things uh, that you think would make it, again, more productive? Sure. Bringing the paperwork to provide me with the background information. You know, a lot of guys will come in and they'll say, oh, I make roughly this or I have roughly this amount in my retirement account. I, you know, those rough numbers are okay, but a lot of times you forget those numbers because it's a stressful situation. I mean, you're trying to remember everything all at once. So to bring in, you know, a tax return, um, a lot of guys don't know their spouse's social security number. Mm-hmm. It's on the tax return. Right. It's an easy thing for me to find. Um, so things that I can find that they might not even know they have questions about in those sort of documents, um, bank statements, retirement mm-hmm. account statements, um, tax returns, like I said, those are some of the big ones. Yeah. I know guys are, when they come in, uh, they're really reluctant to share uh, information. Some don't want to talk about their income. It's private and they don't know you uh, and they're not quite certain they want to move forward with you. Um, but I think what I tell guys is if you're going to go to the doctor and you had your, you know, your chest was hurting, I am probably 99% certain you're going to give every single fact that you can think about because you want to be healed and you're not going to withhold something. Uh, in my seminars that I give, we always talk about doctor, patient, uh, lawyer, client relationships. They're distinctly different only because the clients in the legal sense treat it differently, but they shouldn't be. They should be the same, shouldn't they? Right. I mean, it's very important to um, be open and honest with your prospective attorney in that initial consultation because there is that different type of relationship, like you said. Uh, the conversation is privileged. It's co- Even if you haven't retained the attorney yet and you're just coming in to talk to them about it, all of that information is still privileged. It's still covered under that attorney-client privilege. So your attorney or your prospective attorney is not going to just go out and blab to the world about what you just told them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It still maintains that same level of confidentiality. So when guys come in, uh, they don't have to be certain that they're ready to move forward for divorce, do they? No, absolutely not. Um, a good percentage of the people that I see are coming in just to get that initial information. They're not sure really what they want to do. Um, they're scared. Maybe there's been a big event <clears throat> that has precipitated them coming into the office, um, a big fight, maybe um, you know some sort of uh, drug or alcohol-related incident with them or with the other party. And so they're scared, but they mm-hmm. just need that information. So biggest piece of advice, non-lawyerly advice, you know, that's easy for us to give out legal advice and <laughs> position guys. And we're just talking about non-lawyerly advice in the beginning. Uh, there's all kinds of advice we're, we can talk about later, but is there anything single piece of advice you would want to give clients that just as a guy uh, or as a friend, if you were friends with them, what would you tell them? So I've had this sort of come up with other friends who know that uh, who know what I do, and you know they say, "Hey, I wanted to let you know I'm thinking about this." And my first reaction is not to give them lawyerly advice. That's not why they're coming to mm-hmm. me. Um, what I tell them is, take your time, start doing your research, mm-hmm. look into uh, who you want to talk to, because you don't want to talk to me because I'm your friend. 
I will give you friend advice, but when it comes to a divorce, I'm not going to give you divorce advice. Mm -hmm. But look into who you want to go to for that advice. So do your research on the attorney that you may want to hire in the future. Um, I think that's the biggest thing because ultimately they're the person who you're going to be trusting with making those sort of calls later on as far as, you know, strategy and, um, you know, potential settlement and negotiations and litigation strategy, all those sort of things. So start talk, you know, start thinking about that. It's sort of lawyerly advice, yeah. but it's also, I think, just good general advice. And you bring up a good point when you talk about uh, thinking about who you're going to retain. What type of a lawyer should they look for? I think you really want to go with a lawyer who only practices domestic law, who has that focus. Because it's like anything else. I mean, if if you are focused on one area, the law is just such a broad concept. You know, criminal law, property law, real estate, um, you know, white collar, uh, any, you know, Mm -hmm. there's so many different areas that you could go into as a lawyer. And if you don't have that sort of specialized knowledge of the area that you're focused on, I think it has the potential to reduce the type of success that you can have in your case, however you determine success. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it'd be like uh, I have a tumor uh, and I also have a foot problem. So I go to the podiatrist and I said, hey, while you're at it, can you do surgery and remove this tumor? You know, <laughs> right. And the doctor's going to say, well, you know, I did once do surgery in anatomy and physiology when I was in med school, so I probably can do it. Right. And the question yeah. is, would you do it? I mean, should you do it? No, of course not. You need to go, if you have cancer, you want to go to an oncologist. You know? And if you know, we've got a, a heart issue, you go to a cardiologist. And it, now, not to say that lawyers out there aren't capable of handling, because there are a lot of great general practice lawyers. Absolutely. But the point being is when everything's on the line, I, I certainly would not handle a, a business merger of a large corporation. Could I do it? Probably. And then I would have to, you know, really struggle my way through it. Would I do it to the best of my ability? Absolutely not. And so I would never take that. And that's why I would never expect a giant corporation to come to me and say, will you assist us with this merger and acquisition? Right. I mean, I've I've had people ask me about criminal law questions. And I say, I can give you somebody that I'll refer you to. Right. uh, Because I just don't know that area of law. Yeah. And so I think that is, for me... When I tell clients, wherever it may be, the biggest, best advice is interview, interview, interview. Find lawyers that only do domestic and find one that you're most comfortable with like you would be with your physician. And then the second thing that I think that I would tell clients the best piece of non-lawyerly advice is it can become overwhelming when you think of this process in its panoramic scope, meaning I'm looking at the, you know, from left to right, I'm looking at everything and all that I have to go through over the next six to 12 months. Some cities in some states, it's 18, some it's two years and look at it in small window frames. All right, let's take the first filing and that's only focus on what do we do between now and when we file. All right, now we filed. Now let's focus on what do we do between filing and the first court date coming up in say 60 days because it can be emotionally and physically draining if you look at it and worry about what's going to happen in 12 months. And uh, so I think that that does tend to work if clients just focus on small pictures, small goals, setting goals, 
and multiple goals, not just getting divorced. My goal is to get divorced. Well, of course it is. My goal, though, is, all right, let's make it to the temporary hearing, and I want to walk away keeping the house. It's a good goal. It's a short-term goal. So that's what I usually tell my clients. So when you have clients who have kids, um, what would you suggest? How do they make the best decision? Because the biggest struggle they tell their kids, you know, what do I do? I always, clients constantly say, what do I, what do I tell them or how do I tell them? And uh, for me, I always tell them it's, you know, it's very individual, but I would say, and I don't know what your thought is, Will, is uh, I suggest quite often get help counseling. There's always uh, every city, every state's going to have some sort of uh, class and some call it children's first kids in the middle program where you have social workers, trained counselors to assist you how to tell your kids and how to, to kind of move forward. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, using the resources that are available to you can be invaluable. Uh, you always hear of the stories of people who get divorced later in life and they say, well, we, we stayed together for the kids. Mm-hmm. And then once they were grown up, we decided it's time for us to part ways. Um, a lot of times it's, it's difficult or I, I see guys who are coming in who are having difficulty with that decision. Do I stay together for the kids or is it time for us to separate? And so that's sort of the first thing that I think they need to think about is, is staying in this relationship going to be better or worse for my children? If you have that sort of toxic relationship um, where you're constantly uh, fighting with your spouse in front of the children, that's, that's not a good relationship. That's mm-hmm. not something they need to stay in. As far as your question, you know, how do you tell the children? Absolutely, I think using those resources, um, counseling, you know, you can start as as little as the school counselor, letting the school counselor know what's going on because issues may arise in school and it's better for them to be prepared and know what's going on so that they can help the child as well. Right. And I think that brings up the question many guys also have is how do I avoid disrupting their lives? Meaning that, you know, we're, we're in the same household. We have a mom, we have a dad, we have a routine, a schedule. The kids were used to it. Uh, how do I avoid it? And I think for me, and I'll let you answer, Will, it's one of the 10 stupidest mistakes guys make that we talk about is moving out of the house. Uh, guys think automatically if I'm going to file for divorce and I need to move out. And well, of course, I, uh, we're going to be separated. Guys mistake what that really means, legally separated. And so Oftentimes, and obviously there are so many circumstances and facts that would affect this decision in my recommendation. And and you certainly don't want to take what I'm going to tell you now as legal advice because it, your circumstances may differ. But I always tell clients typically don't move out of the house because that avoids disrupting the kids. Their lives are the same. You get to see them as much as you can. Now, there are all kinds of factors that would perhaps uh, prohibit you from staying in. Could be an order of protection, adult abuse, sole possession of the house, mom moves out with the kids, whatever it may be. But for me, that would be one way to avoid disrupting their lives. Uh, I can think of a couple other, but I'll give you uh, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I've had um, that question come up actually in a, in a recent case, uh, as well as several cases. I always use the example of if you move out of the house, in all likelihood, your best case scenario is you're going to have 50-50 time with your children. Mm-hmm. Let's say everybody's in agreement. 
we're just going to split time equally. That way everybody feels like it's, it's fair and, and we're in a good position. Great. You have 50-50 time. If you stay in the house, though, you both have 100-100 time. Mm-hmm. You get to see them seven days a week instead of three and a half days a week. So I think staying in the house as far as how to minimize the disruption to the children is uh, a great place to start. Uh, like you said, there are circumstances where it could be difficult. Um, certainly in most circumstances when you file for divorce, it, it's probably going to be a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, the question is, is that uncomfort level something that you can live with, um, something that you can do to try and minimize the impact on the divorce for your children? Right. And I think secondarily, once you make the decision, if you can, to stay in the house, it's, I always say, stay involved. And if you're not already involved, get involved. And that will help minimize, well, it actually serves two purposes. One, it'll minimize disruption. Uh, the kids won't see anything different, even though that they may or may not know that mom and dad are, are are attempting to move in a different direction at some point, but at least their routine is the same. And now you're involved, you're staying involved in athletics, you're staying involved in academics, you're going to the parent-teacher conferences, doctor appointments, dentist appointments. I mean, these are all things that have multiple impacts on, on your divorce case. One, disruption. Two, it's about preparation and positioning you for uh, achieving the success that you want. Uh, I think that's critical when it comes to uh, thinking about what you want to do to prevent disruption, but also to put you in the best position possible. And so I guess brings up the question of when guys are thinking about divorce, uh, and they, haven't, they maybe have made the decision, but they haven't pulled the trigger, uh, in your experience, Will, should they be concerned if they have a single household income uh, where, you know, is that a concern to them? And that should that factor into their decision of timing, meaning that they may be the only breadwinner in the house. Well, it's definitely something to think about. Um, if you are the sole breadwinner, if you are the only person who has a work history, um, those are some things that the court's going to be looking at in your case, in determining whether maintenance or alimony is appropriate, uh, what amount, uh, child support. Those are some of the things that it's, it's going to have a big effect on your case. If uh, you are thinking about divorce and you are the only breadwinner in the house, it may be a good time to have that conversation to say, hey, you know, let's see if, if we can get you back into the workforce. Um, it, you know, a lot of factors are going to go into that. What are your children's age uh, or ages? Has the other parent been that stay-at-home uh, caregiver? Do they have the education to go out and get mm-hmm. a job? Um, if not, is that something that you can look at as well? You know, getting the other person maybe an associate's degree, maybe just some training uh, to go out and get uh, a job in the real world. Because those are some things that, when we try to plan for them post-divorce and say, okay, she's going to go back to school for a couple of years and get a degree so that she can become self-sustaining, that's great. But at that point, now it's something that you're paying for um, through either maintenance or additional property distribution or different things like that. So if you have that already going into it, it's going to help you come out with a much better outcome. Mm-hmm. And circling back to... Uh, disruption, uh, we talked a little bit about moving out. 
So walk me through what you think um, the factors that should influence guys' decisions to either move out or not. Because many guys come in and they say, look, I, I just can't, I can't be in the same home. She's driving me crazy. She's turning the heat down to 55, <laughs> you know, leaving the windows open, the lights on, playing music. I, I'm not getting sleep. I mean, I, I can tell you the stories. So that's the question is, I always tell you, don't make a snap decision about moving out because there are so many factors. What factors to you should guys consider in their decision-making process and whether or not to move out? Well, I think the, the big one is, of course, orders of protection. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if she has filed an order of protection, um, then you really don't have much of a choice at that point, especially if it was granted ex parte. You're out of the house um, unless you are successful on the order of protection, which is a whole nother, <laughs> right. a whole nother topic. Um, you, you do not have the ability to go back into the house. Uh, if there is a concern of an order of protection being filed, um, you know, threats of it, the possibility that the two of you are going to be home alone together, where even if something doesn't happen, um, a story is made up that something did happen. You, you don't want to put yourself in that situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you think there is that risk level there might be time to move out. If it's a question of discomfort, ultimately it's a personal decision. You know, everybody has their different level of uncomfortableness that they are comfortable with. Right. But um, if it's, again, I go back a lot of times to, is it affecting the children? You know, are the two of you constantly arguing in front of the children? Uh, if that's the case, and it's having a negative effect on the children, which you will likely see, uh, especially if you are being involved in their lives and things like that, um, that may be another reason to think, okay, maybe it's time that we move into separate households, let things cool down a little bit, and mm-hmm. you know, try and do that 50-50 type parenting time that we were talking about. Right. So we've been talking a lot about what guys should be doing. And, and kind of to close out that part and transition to what they shouldn't do, because that's as equally or maybe perhaps more important, is I, I was thinking as you were talking about there's so many things when we talk about guys bringing in a list of questions, is there so many things you, you should be considering uh, doing before you file or immediately after your files? Like What do you do with checking accounts? What do you do with your savings, uh, your retirement, your debts? I'm working overtime and I'm getting bonuses. What do I do with all that? You know, do I just leave? Do I take half of the money? I mean, those are the types of things that I, I, I would tell clients or everyone listening out there right now is make that list. Uh, the question is, what do I do? And get those answers because, and you know, 10 times out of 10, uh, I would imagine that my, my answers would be different to every client. And so it's hard for me to tell you now, hey, you, of course, take 50% of the checking account, take, you know, 25%, take all because the, the circumstances may affect it. But again, these are things that you should be doing when you're contemplating is writing these questions down because there are plenty of questions and hopefully you get equal answers. So transitioning to what, from what we tell you you should be doing, let's talk about what they shouldn't be doing. So give me, and there are so many, but well, give me a list of things that you think, if guys are thinking about pursuing divorce, are there any particular things that they should avoid doing that could hurt their case before they file? And, and not during, but before they file. A couple of things. The broadest topic is, you know, avoid the vices. Mm-hmm. 
And that doesn't necessarily just mean illegal things. You know, of course, any, any illegal activity that you're involved in, I tell my clients, look, no judgment, but it needs to stop. Um, I, you know, we all have stories of situations that have been brought to us. Um, but any of the vices, gambling, pornography, drugs, excessive alcohol use, um, possibly even any alcohol use, mm-hmm. um, you know, it just depends on your situation. Cigarettes even, I've seen that come up a lot lately, has been the effect of, you know, tobacco use around kids, especially young children. Um, so vices, you know, cutting those down or cutting them out completely, those are, are definitely a, uh, a big thing that you want to avoid. The other big thing that has come up in the last, I'd say, mm, probably five to ten years, especially the last five years, uh, social media. Mm-hmm. Don't go out there on social media and start blasting your child's mother, your sp- spouse, your spouse's family. Um, you know, we hear all the stories about seeing those sort of things. Somebody pulls a screenshot, even if you delete it later on. Um, all of that, right. at some point, was probably going to go in front of a judge. I mean, there's, there are all kinds of things that I, I was making a list as you were talking and thinking that what I would tell clients, I was just telling a client yesterday, his wife is an alcoholic uh, and, and to, you know, a pretty significant, you know, step where she's causing significant disruption, uh, argument, assaulting our client. Uh, and I told him, look, you can't drink. You can't abuse alcohol. You can't get to the point where you get drunk. Because if you're going to claim that she's an alcoholic, you want to be clean. You want to, and that goes for drugs, that goes for gambling, uh, smoking, smoking marijuana. Uh, the best one is clients say, "Well, yeah, she uses drugs." And then they go drug test her, and the judge says, "Well, I'm going to drug test you as well." So you pop positive, and so does she, and so your arguments are gone. And the worst case is she goes negative, and you go positive. Right. And so now it's even worse. And so I always caution clients. You know, those are the things that can hurt your case is making an allegation that you're equally guilty of uh, or partially guilty of. And so it's easy. We, you know, say, okay, stop and let's get clean. And now we say, look, yes, we had a problem. We did gamble. We did drink. Of course, I smoked or whatever it may be, but I'm in counseling. I'm in AA. And now we have our counselor come and testify and she hasn't prepared that way. And those are the things I think that really significantly hurt. Uh, your case before it even begins uh, and you want to avoid it but social media is is one big one um, it's terrible it can only serve to hurt you I think I mean I have had it used against us I've used it for us and so those are things that I think before the case even begins uh, it's problematic and then additionally uh, girlfriends guys who have a relationship I mean, their marriage has been over for a while. Now they're in another relationship while they're married. To me, that's a no-no. It's a distraction for the judge. Whether it's used against you or not, again, representing guys is about uh, getting the judge to like your client. And you're already, you know, have a strike against you because you're a guy. Last thing you need is a distraction uh, where, you know, wife's going to say, well, he's had this girlfriend all along and that's what drove us apart. So no girlfriends, no new cars, no vacations, no luxurious spending or lavish lifestyle, especially if you're going to say that you can't afford spousal support. Those are things that I would all avoid. And I don't know what your thoughts are on all those. Will. 
Yeah, the girlfriend question is an interesting one. Um, I've had it come up in cases after the case starts as well. And, you know, guys will ask me, well, is it okay if I go out and start dating? And this is after the, the divorce is already filed. So we know that it's not a precipitating event to the divorce. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, should it be an issue? Right. No, it shouldn't. But it's a distraction. Like you said, that's the, that's the same word I use with my clients. It's something that the other side is going to try and use to distract the judge mm -hmm. from a more simplified version of the case. And it's going to raise the cost of your case, which I know yeah. is always a big issue. Um, and it's also going to potentially have a negative in impact on, you know, property distribution, custody arrangements, depending on, you know, things like that. So, yeah, girlfriends, if you can avoid them, I, I strongly yeah. advise it. And, you know, I, in my history trying civil cases, it's, you know, as, a, as an attorney, you're telling a story. And sometimes that story isn't necessarily the truth. It's taking the facts that the attorney knows and using those facts and portraying perhaps an alternative possibility. And that's why a girlfriend is a distraction. It can, you know, the attorney can turn that and to say that that was the motivating force of, of the, the division of the marriage. And it just, you have to be clean. You have to be kind of the higher ground. Uh, not that you're the martyr, but it would be the preferential position is to say, look, yeah, the marriage just didn't work and that's it. And there's no other factors about it. It's not gambling. It's not alcohol. Every guy comes in with something. Uh, and so what our, your goal as the client is to talk about that. Well, how do I deal with it? What do I do about it? Uh, and disclose it. And it, and it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, I always tell clients to keep a, a journal, a diary, a day in the life, because the littlest of facts become the biggest of facts. And it could be pornography. It could be whatever it may be. Um, but those are things we need to talk about. Those are things you need to deal with at the very front end because they can destroy your credibility at the beginning and potential for settlement. So kind of winding up uh, in terms of thinking about divorce, we talked about before the case begins, are there anything, any steps guys can take during the divorce? You know, what should they do and what shouldn't they do while the case is pending other than what we talked about, maybe to make their case stronger, to further their uh, their efforts towards their achieving their goals. Anything in particular guys should be doing while the case is pending to ensure a better outcome. So one thing that's going to sound a, a little self-serving coming from an attorney, but it, it's listen to your attorney. Mm. If your attorney is giving you advice and you've gone out, and this is why it's so important at the beginning of the case to go out and do your research and find an attorney who knows what they're talking about. Um, if you've done all that research and then the, your attorney gives you advice and you say, you know what, I think I know better. I'm going to do it this way. Mm -hmm. You've just done all that research for nothing. You're shooting yourself in the foot because your direct connection to the judge, the ultimate arbitrator of what's going to happen in your case is your attorney. So you may not always like what they have to say. And that's part of our job as your, your attorney is to not just give you the sunshine and daisies version mm -hmm. of your case, but to give you a realistic expectation of what your outcomes are going to be and how you can positively affect those outcomes. Mm -hmm. If the judge wants you to start using Soberlink, which is a, an alcohol yeah. monitoring device, for those of you who might not know, and your attorney suggests it, start using it. Yeah. If your attorney tells you to stop drinking, to stop smoking, to you know whatever it may be, uh, take their advice, especially, like I said, if you've done that research at the beginning, 
you can be confident that their advice is being given to put you in the best position going forward in your case. It's expensive advice. So you're paying for it, right? right? That too. So that's why I say, you know, if you're going to buy a car, but you're going to leave it in the garage and never drive it, what's the whole point? You know, so you're buying a lawyer, you're, you're paying for these lawyer services, might as well use it. And uh, it, those types of things that you talk about go uh, hand in hand with uh, the detriments of listening to bad advice from friends, right? Right. I mean, everybody, like I said, I mentioned earlier, everyone's got a friend, and I can't tell you how many over the last 25 years I've been doing this, that, well, my friend had, you know, got a divorce, and he only paid $100. Right. Uh, terrible advice, right? Don't listen to your friends when they don't have a law degree. Right. Talking to your friends about their case and your case and the similarities between them you know, that's, that's great. You're, you know, if assuming your judge doesn't think you have an alcohol issue, that's mm-hmm. great. Something to do over a beer and commiserate, but it's not something to develop a legal strategy around. Yeah. Family law is such a uh, diverse, what I call a gray area of law where everything is, you know, best interest standard. Uh, there are very few bright line tests in family law. And so you know, just the smallest different fact, different judge that you're in front of could make a huge difference on your case. And mm-hmm. so listening to the, you know, quote unquote advice of your friend, all it's going to do is cause you a major headache. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you in, in my experience, I've had cases that I would say not n- nearly, they're nearly identical. They're not identical in facts. Two different judges at two different time periods, different results. Absolutely. It happens all the time. Yeah. I mean, the, the judges are human. Uh, they're derailed by emotion. Uh, they don't necessarily follow the law, which means that there are different results. And it's not right, but that's reality. It may be the case that they heard in front of you took, mm-hmm. you know, two hours for what should have been a 10 minute conversation. And that judge is ticked off. So they yeah. don't want to hear your brilliant, you know, legal argument on some minute element of the case. And they just dismiss everything you have to say. Right. And you have to take the case where you have it. And that's why I think it is important to look, I I don't want clients and I don't want you out there thinking I shouldn't talk to my friends because I think that's an equally important part of your experience. And that is talk about it. You shouldn't hold it in. But when you do get advice, I know you're going to get it from your friends. Take it with a grain of salt and maybe take that advice and go have a conversation with your lawyer and say, look, this is what I heard. Tell me about it. And, and I'll explain it and I'll tell you what I think that advice is and whether it's relevant, accurate, likely, uh, or unlikely. So I think that's maybe as we conclude the best advice today, uh, other than preparing and other than researching and other than being evac- active and involved, that is take advice for what it is. Everyone's got it. Uh, and you're paying for it. Uh, the free advice is often the worst advice. The, the paid advice will tend to be the best advice. And so uh, it is can be a detriment. Uh, don't ignore it, uh, but just take it for what it is. So uh, that wraps up uh, our topic today, thinking about divorce and what guys should do, their thoughts, uh, the steps you should take. Thanks, Will, for joining me. Thank and, you for having me. Uh, we look forward to our segment uh, next month. We'll bring you more topics of interest about men facing divorce. 
thank you for listening to the Men's Divorce Podcast presented by Cordell & Cordell. To schedule your appointment with a Cordell & Cordell attorney, please visit CordellCordell.com or call us at 1-866-DADS-LAW. Also make sure to visit our partner websites, mensdivorce.com and dadsdivorce.com and download our free Men's Divorce Source app available on the App Store for the latest divorce news and resources. Cordell & Cordell, a partner men can count on.